But Thanksgiving is over. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, we set that one on the shelf now. So we're officially into the Christmas season. Uh, you know, that, that, that great time. It's a lot of gift giving, a lot of, um, gift purchasing will be going on. You are going to go out and you're going to buy something that you hope will fit or that you hope, uh, the recipient will like or you hope it will be something they need or you hope it will be something that they don't already have. And when we say hope in that, in that regard, what we really mean when we say that is wishful thinking. That's what we mean. When we say, you know, we, we hope it's something that, they, that they're going to like, hope it's a, and, and we, we think wishful thinking. I, uh, I was out with uh, Ryan and Marcy a couple weeks ago, and we went to Lowe's. My grandson, Ryan, loves to go to Lowe's. I'm telling you, the, uh, you know, there's, there's hope that somebody in the family is going to maybe really want my tools when I go. And, um, so he, we, he bought, the, we got this, bought this little hammer for him that, uh, cause Lowe's has these, um, kits that you buy and you can put, a kid can put together. And so you buy this little hammer. And uh, we bought that for him before when we bought a project. Well, the little car we made for him broke, so he wanted to get another one. But he had his hammer already. He knew that. Well, he wanted... So he went and picked out another car, but he had to make sure he had his hammer with him, you know, for the whole event. And then we went home and we built that. But he wanted a toolbox for his hammer, you know, because Papa has toolboxes, so uh, my son-in-law Michael and I went out. Uh, we, he and I, go out on, on, on Black Friday. We're the only two in the family that do that, and we go to Lowe's, Home Depot, and, and Menards, depending on which one has what we want first. Uh, but anyway, I, so I, when we were out there, I bought this little tool bag for Ryan because I had wanted to get him a toolbox. But and you know, generous guy that I am, I didn't want to spend more than five bucks. Um, so uh there was this tool bag there and it was five it was four dollars and you know some change. I oh dude, that's right in my alley. So I I got that. Well yesterday I hadn't given it to him yet. Yesterday we went to um I went to Home Depot with Marcy and there was a toolbox, an actual, you know, plastic toolbox for five it was again four dollars and some change. Oh, that's it. I'm going to get that because I, you know, and I, I think he'll really like this because it looks like a toolbox. He was totally unimpressed. It was, I mean, first gift I bought, and the kid just, you know, he, he was just totally unimpressed by it at all, uh, you know. But uh, uh, you know, we so we buy this stuff, and you know, we buy it. We hope they're going to like it. And what we mean is that, is that wishful thinking, because what happens is the day after Christmas, it shows us that a lot of people's hopes didn't pan out. <laughs> Because the day after Christmas, they set up whole areas, if you will, departments in stores for returns. You know, you come in and, and, you know, half of those registers that were checking you out before will now check you back in as you return all of this stuff, you know, that, that really didn't fit, uh, that, you know, that, that you, all that stuff that, you know, they had hoped would be right and you hoped would be there and the hopes were dashed and so all of this stuff goes back to the store. The hope that we have in shopping and gift giving is not the hope that we embrace during the Advent season. 
that's not the hope and that's not what we talk about when we mean hope. Uh, you know, hope for the Christian has to be more than wishful thinking. In fact, if you look at your outline there, you see a little definition for hope, anticipation of the certain. Now it's in quotes because it's not original with me at our uh, Bible study on Tuesday morning. David had mentioned, I think he said Adrian Rogers, if I remember correctly, uh, said that. And I, uh, I didn't attribute it to Adrian Rogers because I, nothing against David, but I was taking David's word for it. I didn't see it in writing, but it's not original with me at any rate. You know, hope, I, I liked that though. It's the anticipation of the certain. You know, of the certain. This is the hope we're talking about at Christmas. When we're talking about, about Christmas and we're talking about hope, we're talking about anticipation, anticipating the certain. Because it is from God and it is of God. And that's why it's certain. Uh, you know, and, and all we do is we anticipate what is, what is certain because it is with God. And that's what we're looking at. You know, God's not wondering about what you need. He knows what you need. God is certain about what you need. There is no question in his mind. He's not wondering, you know, that's not, not going on. And what we need is a real relationship with him, a growing relationship with him. We just sang about Emmanuel, God with us. There, you know, there, here's the picture. You know, you get that relationship you know, as you're spending time with someone, you know, with someone. I was thinking the other day, I have a cup at home, uh, and it says on there, the gift and the givers are yours forever. Ginny gave that to me the first Christmas that we were dating. We weren't married. And I lost track if we, you know, if I had my fancy proposal before that or not, you know, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, but, and I, and I thought to myself, um, I still had that cup, you know, and I still had that woman in my life. You know, the gift and the giver are yours forever what we're talking about here when we're talking about hope and we're talking about you know this whole enduring hope from god you know it's that reality of a growing relationship with him and over the i was trying to i was trying to think this through a little bit 45 40 some years you know that since jenny gave me that cup you know, and that our relationship has been growing because we spent time together if i never would have seen her again since then really like kind of like what's this okay the, f- the one part about this cup is it's written in in you know the, the printing is a little different and i remember opening the gift and i'm i'm sitting down you know and i'm i'm sitting you know in in the chair and they're doing gifts at jenny's you know her dad's house which was also where she lived uh you know but um and i looked i opened it and i said the gift in the kiver what's a kiver <laughs> he looks at me he said give her I said, oh, oh yeah, yeah, give her, I get it now. You know, the, uh, but the whole picture here, you know, when we think of Christmas, Christmas, it's not only a celebration of a long ago event. Christmas is a celebration of a right now relationship as well. We're not only looking back, you know, at what God has done. We are also celebrating that right now relationship with him. That it is that relationship that we still have, that we still can grow in, that we can still be together with him. And what a gift that is. Let's pray. We're going to turn to a passage and a familiar one to you and dig into it a little bit. Father, thank you. Thank you that you, when you give yourself, when you gave yourself to us, oh my goodness. 
we we just were in such need that we didn't realize. We were so undeserving, and yet, and yet you gave yourself to us because of our need. Because what screamed out from within us could only be met by you. And Father, we're gathered here together today, and it's really still that case. What screams out within us can really only be met by you. And we're gathered together here, and we talk about enduring hope. Father, some of us have been on shaky ground. And we wonder. I pray that you would strengthen hope today. That you would work within hearts, because that's where it's needed, Father. Within our hearts. Some of us don't go into Christmas with great excitement. We go in with great dread. And it's not that great time of year for some. It's a time of year they they hate. And they can't wait for it to be over. And their hearts are broken. Minister, Father. Bring that healing. Bring that strengthening. Bring that completeness to each one of us, Lord. That you might says well up within us once again that hope that we know and that we can see is that enduring hope because it comes from a relationship with you. It comes because of who you are. So unfold your word before us. Unfold your way. May your spirit minister in powerful ways today within the hearts of those of us who have gathered together here to interact with you. Make that real, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2. Big surprise, right? I was looking back. I I, uh, I have, you know, I don't preach from an iPad or anything um, because if the battery goes dead, um, you know, I, my, my head's just not good enough. So I, but I, so I have all these, you know, paper copies. And uh, my my file on Luke, I was thinking, you know, these Christmas passages are probably, the ones we look at as Christmas passages, probably have the most sermons that I've preached on. Uh, but here, Luke chapter 2, verse, uh, we're going to begin in verse 25. If you're using a pew Bible, it's page 943. Uh, the event here actually takes place about 40 days after the birth of Christ. So what we're looking at is a passage that comes after his birth as we're looking forward in anticipation, uh, you know, in, in that. Um, you know, but the, the 40 days after, that's in keeping with the Jewish law for Mary and Joseph. If you look at verse 22 there, if you're in chapter 2 already, look up at verse 22. And it talks about the fact that they gave and they, they were coming with an offering for purification for her after childbirth. Well, really for her and Joseph both. Because as he was involved in a, in a childbirth, blood would have made them uh, uh, would have made them unclean uh, ceremonially, 
And so they would have to give this offering. And you see there in verse 22, that's what's going on. So we're going to start in verse 25. And they are relaying an incident that they experienced as they were in the temple to take care of this offering. So verse 25, it says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple complex. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your slave in peace as you have promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and the rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Well, uh, interesting uh, encounter here, and we're told here that uh, about a little bit about Simeon's character. Notice how he's described. He's described as righteous and devout. Here, righteous, when it talks about righteous, here what it's talking about is describing his living. It's describing his actions that they're being directed by and in keeping with God's word. That would have been how they would have seen righteous, somebody who was living according to God's word. This is why one of the reasons the Pharisees originally came up with this whole list of things that they had to do in order to abide by the law. Because to be righteous, you had to abide by the law. So if you were going to abide by the law, here's some helpers for you. And they had all these things listed out because they wanted the people to be righteous. This is what they're talking about. That character that was directed by and in keeping with God's word. God's word is the only, it's the only trustworthy standard that we have to judge conduct by. You know, now people get, get a little bit, uh, you know, whippy-doo about the, you know, when you word, use the word judge, but the, it's a biblical thing, you know, we are, now don't be looking at at others' actions here, you know, because really he's calling us to judge our own actions, and there's the standard, the only trustworthy standard is God's word. Now, when he talks about Simeon here being righteous, he doesn't mean that he was perfect, nor does it mean that he was working for his salvation. One of the things of the law, Paul said, Paul said, I wouldn't have known I was a sinner except for the law. And then he goes on and he says, I, you know, I, I tried to follow the law. I tried to do what it said. And, you know, this is what I wanted to do. But, I, you know, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be ripped if I didn't do the other thing instead, dude. Uh, that's how you know it's a paraphrase. Um, you know, so the, the, you know, the, the whole thing, the whole struggle of the law there was that they began to realize we can't, we can't attain the righteousness that we need to have by that we see here in God's word that we see laid out in his word and we can't attain that righteousness so when he talk when it calls him here you know when when it describes him you know that way it, it's not talking about that he's perfect and it's also not talking about the fact that he worked for his salvation that wasn't it the law wasn't so you could work your way to God the law was showing them here is God here is his character here is his being he calls us to be holy as he is. Here's how he is holy. 
And it showed them their need for God. That's what the law was about. You know, so it means here that his actions were in keeping with what God calls us to do. And they were in keeping with what God called them to do because of his relationship with God. One of the things I have learned over the 40-some years that Jenny and I have been together is, um, and, you know, she's not here so I can, I can say this, you know, is I, I generally try not to do things that I know irritate her. Now, there's the thing, you know, every once in a while we do things that we know are going to irritate the one we claim to love the most, don't we? I mean, you can say no if you want to, but you're lying and, you know, just be real careful about that. Uh, you know, so you know, every once in a while, you know, every once in a while, um, you know, instead of loving her like I should, you know, I'll, 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 you know, leave her cup in the sink and just put my own stuff in the dishwasher so she knows that she left a mess too. You know, or, you know, or, you know, if she says something and we all, we all know just that one little phrase that we can say or even how we can say it that nobody else may pick up on it, but our mate knows we're giving him one of these. <laughs> and let me just poke you so you know that uh, what I'm saying. You see, we kind of, we kind of, we kind of, we, we kind of mess up with these things. And, you know, our, our relationship, you know, with each other is a great illustration of our relationship with God. We don't always get it right. I wouldn't say that we do things sometimes just to irritate Him. We do things instead to please us. Even though we know we should do something different in order to please God, in order to live righteously. But it also describes him as devout. Devout describes really the direction and the demeanor of his living. (coughs) You know, his daily living. His daily living here being directed by God because of his commitment to God. Because of his commitment to God, he's allowing God and having God, really having God direct his life. The motivation behind his living was his solid, consistent, unwavering commitment to God. That was the motivation behind his living. That unwavering commitment to God. And he was not, he did not want to, he did not want to vary from that. You know, and his relationship with God is what set his course. It's what directed his choices. It was going to be in keeping with God's word, and that's how he was going to live. He pursued a deeper walk with God. This does not happen by accident. It doesn't happen by accident. This is intentional actions, intentional actions of pursuing God. Yesterday when we were in Home Depot, um, we were... Uh, Marcy was looking for a new Christmas tree because she had a 12-foot tree that uh, fell over. And I went over and helped her get it back up, and it stayed up for, I don't know, probably until I got home, and it fell over again, and the stand was broken. So she had to get this new tree. So we were looking at trees and the other stuff around there. Well, Ryan was with us, you know, and all of a sudden we look around and we don't see Ryan. You know, where's Ryan? Marcy walked over this way a little bit, didn't see him, walked over that way. I started going over this way, you know, saying Mandy walked around the corner. Well, there's Ryan, and he's hiding among the boxes because he thought that was fun. Uh, you know, it's not, not something we were too excited about. Uh, but, you see, intentional actions, 
This is what it's talking about when it's talking about, you know, it, it doesn't happen by accident. It's intentional actions on our part that we pursue God, not, 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 uh, you know, going the other way. When we thought Ryan was lost, we were taking intentional actions to pursue him. He was taking intentional actions to not be able to be pursued. You know, and, and, you know, the whole, the whole, we should be following him. Here it talks about Simeon, you know, and it says he looked forward to Israel's consolation. That's a phrase that really meant the Messiah. He was looking forward to the Messiah. When they talked about Israel's consolation, they're talking about, about the Messiah there. Because why? That's what God promised. And he believed God. He believed God, so he's looking forward to exactly what God promised. He had enduring hope. He anticipated the certain because he believed God. Anticipated the certain because he believed God. And because he believed, he knew who God was. It says here, the Holy Spirit guided him. It's very interesting. And you see several times it talks about the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit was upon him. The Holy Spirit guided him. The Holy Spirit there. And it talks about that. He, the Holy Spirit was guiding him because his relationship, because, you know, because Simeon's relationship, you know, his relationship with God and his commitment to follow God. Sometimes we wonder why we don't sense the presence or the leading of the Spirit. And it very well could be because what we're doing is pursuing our own pleasure instead of pursuing God. God's not going to lead you away from Him. Don't expect His Spirit to help you walk away from Him. Don't expect his spirit to to help you indulge yourself at the expense of your relationship with God. You know, the, the, the natural direction and demeanor of our living is self-centered. It's directed by, you know, it's motivated towards self, not toward God. Our natural thing is, you know, kind of like self-preservation, if you will. Self-fulfillment, self Joe, I want to feel good. And this is what we begin to pursue. We can't expect the Spirit to help us weaken our relationship with God. And sometimes we don't sense the presence or the leading of the Spirit because we're pursuing the wrong thing. God will help you pursue Him. He is not hiding among the boxes. He wants to be, Scripture tells us he wants to be found. Simeon's hope was enduring here because it was anchored in God, not in circumstance or situation. If we're going to have enduring hope, if we're going to be able to embrace enduring hope, it has to be anchored in God, not in circumstance or situation. Think about this. The circumstance, the circumstance would have told Simeon, you know, that, that God's people, God's people have been waiting thousands of years at this point. They have been waiting thousands of years for the Messiah, thousands of years for the deliverer that was promised all the way back in the garden when man had sinned. And it, it, it is, it, along with the curse, God gives him the, the really comfort, if you will. He says, I will put hostility between you and the woman as he's talking to the serpent. And he's talking about the curse on the serpent. The one who, the one who, who's leading, they were following instead of following God at that point. He says, I'll put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And then for thousands of years, God had been, God's people had been waiting for this promised seed that they were talking about. 
that had been mentioned all the way back in the garden. And you can look and you can begin to read and you can trace through this. And every time, particularly, you know, in the beginning there, and when the children were born and the wonder is, is this the one? Is, is this, is this the seed that we're talking about? You see, but circumstance told Simeon this is not going to happen. Thousands of years, but enduring hope, enduring hope said God is faithful and he will do what he said. He would do what he said and that he, he is not obligated to our time frame. He's not obligated to how we think it should work out, but he will, he is very faithfully committed to his knowledge and to his plan. And enduring hope commits ourselves to his knowledge and his plan. The circumstance didn't give him any encouragement. And the situation, the situation told him Rome was in control and Israel remained a conquered people. They were living there in Jerusalem, which was conquered and enduring hope. Enduring hope told Simeon that earthly kingdoms, earthly rulers rise and fall. But God is still the ultimate authority. And God will have his way in his time. We often think God doesn't work fast enough. Because those, those are when we're waiting for things, when we're waiting, when we're waiting for healing, when we're waiting for someone to come to know Christ, when we're waiting for these things and we think, God, you're not working fast enough. Today's a really good day. Today's a really good day. And we struggle and we look forward to his coming again. And we sometimes give in to the situation. And we think, we know it could be any day, but I don't think it's going to be a day. I don't think it's going to be today. You know, and we'll voice the thing that we think it could be any day. You know, but in a situation, and, and, and we forget sometimes, you know, that, that earthly kingdoms, earthly rulers rise and fall. Whether you like our president, you don't like our president, I'll tell you one thing. He's not going to be our president, you know, for long. Even if he gets two terms, eight years is not a long time. It's just not. We've had presidents already that you like and some you didn't like. And we get, you know, we, we, you know, we, we get our, 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 uh, our self all tied in a knot and everything about all of this stuff. And what we're forgetting sometimes is we're forgetting that, that rulers rise and rulers fall and God is still in control. And God will work out his plan in his time. Now, I'm not saying don't be concerned about those things. I mean, I, I think he tells us and calls us, to, he, he calls us to pray for our leaders, all of our leaders. You should be praying, you should have been praying for President Obama as much as you pray for President Trump. You should be praying for the Democratic Congress just as much as you prayed for the Republican Congress. It's just a fact that's according to scripture. You know, and what we forget though is sometimes, you know, the kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, but God remains constant god's plan will work out he is still you know he is still the ruler now we're not told how it was revealed to simeon that he would see the lord's messiah we're just told that by that you know according you know that the spirit made clear to him that he would see the messiah the anointed one the savior what we do know about that is that his revelation you know was in keeping with god's word what he heard as he was looking forward to the Messiah, the Messiah was in keeping with God's word. It was not contrary to it. He wasn't, you know, it wasn't bringing in these previously unknown facts as false prophets often do. 
you know, and distort the word of God. He wasn't distorting the word of God. It was right in keeping with the word of God. God will never lead you contrary to his word. Never. Never. In case you didn't understand it, what I'm saying is God will never lead you contrary to his word. I've been... In the last few weeks, it's just been phenomenal to me. Um, just some of the people whose lives have blown up, who they have decided they are not going to, you know, they're not going to follow God. But yet they talk to me as if they're following God. And here's the one that always makes me want to, God wants me to be happy, doesn't he? Yes. He does. That's not his goal. He really, he wants you to be obedient. He gave us his word so that we can see and we can follow it and we will know how to be happy. Not turning our back on him and doing our own thing. God will never lead you contrary to his word. When God says don't steal, guess what he means? Don't steal! That's what he means. Pretty clear. You know, it's not, you know, it's not just, it's okay to steal if nobody's looking or if this is something you really want or, you know, when he says, you know, not to say, when he tells us, you know, that, that we're to be people of integrity, that we're to be people who are honest, this is what he means. Be people of integrity and people who are honest. People who tell the truth. Let your yes be what? Not let your yes be, yes, now quit talking to me. I'm just done with this and I really didn't want to say anything. So I'm saying yes, so you'll leave me alone. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying let your yes be yes. So when I say yes, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do it. When I say yes, you know, this is how I'm going to treat you. This is how I'm going to treat you. God's not confused. He didn't, you know, he didn't put his word down and then say, by golly, I didn't see that one coming. It's okay for you. Don't worry about it. I know what it says here. Just don't worry about it. That's not what God's doing. What God's doing is he's saying, you know, this is the way you want to be happy. But, you know, God, this, you know, this person doesn't make me, you know, we make a choice as to whether or not we're going to follow God. We make a choice as to whether or not we're going to pursue him. God is not confused about what he wants. He will never, ever lead you contrary to his word. He is consistent and his word is true. And therefore, it is trustworthy. We can stake our lives on it. It's easier to be guided by the Spirit when you're righteous and devout, when you're pursuing this deeper walk with God, a better connection with God, and seeking to follow Him rather than your passions or your desires, you know, or your own plans, which are all tainted by sin. It's easier to be led by the Spirit when you're pursuing God instead of your own stuff. Simeon, it says, was guided by the Spirit. I found this interesting too. He was guided by the Spirit, did you notice, right to Jesus. Out of all the people in the temple complex, 
Out of all of them in a temple complex, Simeon was directed right to Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. Now, the temple complex consisted of, of different areas. There was area for the Gentiles, a court for the Gentiles, where they could go and they couldn't go any further. There was a line of demarcation, literally, there. So they, they couldn't go any further. They could. It was under penalty of death. So it was best not to go further. There's the court of the women. And so the women could go that far and no further. I'm not sure if there was a pile of rocks in there. Think of that as, you know, the modern day El Pistole, you know, to put an end to these people who weren't behaving. Uh, you know, but the, the, I, I don't know. But, okay, so if you were called to go, well, then you go through there and then there's, you know, got, you got the court for the men and, and you get to the point of, you know, where there's, then you get to the Holy of Holies. If you were going to look for the Messiah, where would you think you would, you would be finding him hanging out? I would have been, you know, going, going in to, you know, as far in as I could get, because that's where he would be. They weren't any further than the court of women. How do I know that? Well, Mary was with them. And so out of all of the areas of the temple, out of all the people that were in the temple, then, you know, we're told here that, you know, that Simeon was led directly to Joseph, to Mary, and to Jesus. I just found that interesting. Maybe you didn't, and that's okay. Um, you know, but we're not told, we're not really told much about Simeon, you know, I mean, other than what we have here. He doesn't, I, he, I don't believe he appears again in scripture anywhere. And if I'm wrong, you know, there's probably two of you in here who might be able to tell me that, and that's okay. Uh, but I don't think I am. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's believed that he was quite old when this encounter happened. We just, uh, think of him that way because Anna, who directly follows him, was old, and so we think Simeon was too. But uh, I was thinking, as I was thinking about this, uh, he probably never saw Jesus grow up. Yeah, you know, he he didn't witness any miracles. He probably never heard Jesus tell a parable. He didn't see him interact with, he didn't see Jesus interact with the Pharisees. He didn't see Jesus' compassion for the hurting and the depressed and the despised. You know, he, he didn't see that Jesus' tears over Jerusalem. We were looking at that passage this morning in our Sunday school class and he never saw these things. But he saw hope fulfilled when he saw Jesus. When he saw this infant. And he saw hope fulfilled when he saw the Savior. And Simeon embraced hope because he embraced God and he believed his word despite the circumstances, despite the situation. Simeon embraced enduring hope because it was anchored in God's enduring word. Enduring hope is always anchored in God's enduring word. He knew God would fulfill his word. He knew God's word is sure, solid, that God's word is worth pinning your hopes on. He knew all of this. It wasn't wishful thinking. You know, it, it wasn't, it, you know, it was a sure knowledge, a belief that God is and that God is trustworthy. He is true and he is true to his word. That whole picture there, this was not hidden knowledge. It was not a secret agenda. And Simeon didn't take secret actions. Notice in verse 31, it says, you know, this is happening in the presence of all the people, even those, even those who refused to believe, even those who rejected Jesus. 
This was done in their presence, even though they were going to reject him, even though they were going to walk away, even though they didn't believe it, they didn't believe like Simeon did, even though they were going to turn their back and, and just go on with their own lives. And it was still done in all of their presence. You see, other people's, other people's unbelief does not lessen the truth. It doesn't lessen the reliability of God in his word. Somebody else not believing in God does not diminish who he is. It does not diminish what he has done. It does not diminish the reliability of of his word and the truth of his word. Joseph and Mary here, they were the two chosen by God to raise Jesus. They were the two who received visits from the angels. That's what I would have needed. You know, it would have, it would have been a face-to-face deal for me. I, I, you know, it's just tough. Uh, you know, but it, it seems, you know, they, they didn't seem as in tune with God here as Simeon was. But notice it says that they were still amazed at what God was doing. They were amazed at what he is doing. We like to have all the answers. We like to, we like to know what's going on. Every once in a while in the morning, I'll ask Ginny, I'll say, what's your plan? Okay, sometimes I ask her just to irritate her. That's full confession again. You know, but I'll say, what's your, you know, what's your plan? And, you know, and, you know, I want to know what's going on. We like to have the answers, you know, or, or we like to stick to what we already believe the answers are, you know, or, you know, or, or we focus on the past. And then what we do is we fail to be, to be amazed at what God is doing right in front of us. Mary and Joseph spoke to angels. And here it says, and yet they were amazed. Be amazed at what God is doing all around you. We cease to be amazed. We Be amazed at what he's doing all around you. Now, Simeon's words <clears throat> to Joseph and Mary here about what was ahead in verses uh, 34, 35, they're not exactly the news any mother wants to hear about their child. It has never been my course of conversation when I've gone to visit people in the hospital after they had their baby and, you know, told them, oh, what a cute kid. Everybody's going to hate this kid. You know, he's going to grow up and she's going to be banging against the wall, man. He's going to be rejected. You know, but isn't he cute? I've never had that conversation with them. I mean, I go and I look and I, I, I hold these kids. And I pray for these kids and I pray with their parents. And I just think of all of the great possibilities and the great things that these kids are going to do. And the lives that they're going to touch. Missiles into the future. I mean, really, I'm not going to be there. They will. You know, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be feeding worms and they'll be, you know, telling people the gospel. I hope. But here, you know, here, what, what, you know, what, what he, what he's laying out there for him, you know, is your son going to be, people are going to hate this kid. Now, Mary had to grow in accepting it. Look back up at verse 19. We didn't read that, but verse 19 is where we're told that some of these things that happened as the shepherds visited. And I think here, even as Simeon kind of says, Mary treasured up all this stuff in her heart. She hung on to it. She didn't, she didn't get it all, but she knew, you know, God was involved with all this stuff and says she treasured this stuff up in her heart. Um, you know, some things in God's plan are hard. They're hard. It's not always easy. It's not always hard, but enduring hope tells us that we know God's plan is best. It's best even, 
even through the difficulties. Even through those difficulties. God can use our heartache for his glory. It does not mean it's always easy. Mary, it's that we're told here, is treasuring all these things in her heart. Then we have this big, long span. Between this and, and when he comes into ministry, we have one, we're told about one episode when he was about 12 years old, when he was 12 years old and he's in it, and, and the family travels back to Jerusalem for one of the, one of the feasts and as they travel back home and they thought that he was in grandpa's van and they got to the first gas station and when they all went in to use the restroom, they found out Jesus isn't here. So Mary and Joseph have to rent a car and they go back, you know, they go back to Jerusalem to find him. And it says, you know, a few days it took them. Then they find him. Well, in the temple, you know, uh, yeah, that's the only other picture we're given. We guess at what it was like to raise Jesus. What it says there is Mary and Joseph went to him and said, son, what's wrong with you? Didn't you know we would be looking for you? What were you thinking? Dude. It's, you know, this is, you know, I mean, this is, that's the only other picture we have there. Do you think perhaps that during, you know, when they, when, when she heard these words, all these shepherds come and it's like, Hey, we just had a kid, a little privacy, and they all come and they want to see this guy. And then the magi come and they give him all this stuff and it's like, you got the right house? And then, you know, do you suppose between that, when she's storing up all these things in her heart, and when Jesus stepped into public ministry, do you suppose perhaps she was lulled into a little bit of contemplation of thinking, I just don't know how all this is going to work out. We're given a little bit of a picture. Mark chapter 3 says, Then he went home. And the crowd gathered again so that they were not even able to eat. When his fam- Jesus' family, when his family heard this, they set out to restrain him because they said, Oh, he's the Messiah. We have to help him. Because they said, He's nuts. He's out of his mind. Do you think Mary was at peace and calm about this? She went to get her son because she thought that he stepped over the mental line. A little bit later, it says, Then his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent word and called him. A crowd was sitting around him and told him, Look, your mother and your brothers and your sisters are outside asking for you. He replied to them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who were sitting in a circle around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. They struggled with. The woman who raised him struggled with this whole reality of enduring hope. Now read the rest of the Gospels. You know, she does come to that place of belief and she's there, you know, with them and all. But right here, she's struggling. Enduring hope does not expect God to grant our will. It's not about our will. Enduring hope embraces God's will over our own feelings because we know God's plan is best. Let God 
help you realize that as well. Knowing that his plan is blessed. I believe Simeon had a part really in helping Mary and Joseph realize God's plan is best, even through the difficulties as they look back and reflect on this. And his blessing, Simeon, you know, told him Jesus would call the rise, cause the rising and falling of many people. Someone's response to Jesus is the determining factor in their life. that's that's it this is the determining factor in their life is their response to jesus because scripture is very clear acts chapter 4 it says there is salvation in no one else because there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved by it well you know it's allah and all this stuff and it just doesn't matter what they call them yes it does Because it is not the same God they're talking about. There is no other. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus words himself. And he says, you know, I am the way. Important word. He doesn't say, you know, there's many roads and I'm just one of them. I am the way. There's a lot of truth. Jesus says, I am the truth, the the only truth, the only life. And not one single person, no one ever, not in all the history of mankind, has anyone or will anyone ever come to the Father except through me, through what he has done. Jesus is still a sign that will be opposed, as it says in verse 34. A sign is something that reveals a truth about God, and he is still a sign that, that, that will be opposed, and that's opposed. He reveals God to us because he is God. And contrary to what sometimes we want to believe, there is no neutrality regarding Jesus. It isn't... No one is sitting on the fence, even though we use that term. There is no sitting on the fence. You are for him or you are against him. Why do I believe that? Because that is what he said. You know, anyone who is not with me is against me. Anyone who does not gather with me scatters. He doesn't, there is, there is no neutrality. There is no neutral. There is no sitting on the fence. You are for him or you are against him. Enduring hope stands with and follows God always. Doesn't make excuses. Doesn't step away. When they realize they step away, they immediately step back Realize you are taking a stand on everything, on everything. The only choices that we are, to, the only choices are to stand with him in enduring hope or you stand against him. Embrace enduring hope. Let's pray.